ever so excited about this morning. Everything that has been brought this morning um, just confirms to me that I am going to be talking about the right thing, that God has got something really special for us this morning, something important. So we are, I'm going to be talking on chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. This is making a noise, isn't it? Is it all right? Okay. Um, We've waded through a whole host of different chapters, haven't we, on everything from incest to head coverings. And now we come to this beautiful passage on love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm nothing but a clanging gong. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, it does not boast. Now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. I'm sure many of you could quote me chunks of that passage word for word. I wonder, in fact, if it might be the most preached on chapter in the entire Bible. Let's have a show of hands. Who has been to a wedding or possibly even a funeral? I'm told Princess Diana had it read at her funeral. Who's been to a wedding or a funeral where this was read and preached on? You can have two hands if you've been to more than one. Yeah, that is most of us, I think. But this chapter, of course, is not talking about romantic love. It's not even talking about the love that one might have for a friend or that a parent might have for a child. It's a love that has its roots in Judeo-Christianity. It's been called different things over the years. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, refers to it as charity. We would probably be more familiar with the Greek term agape today. It's the love that God has for man and that man is called to show to others. It's a radically selfless, incredibly beautiful, completely countercultural kind of love. A love that is so deep and so true that it runs through the very fabric of our universe. A love so compelling that every person since the dawn of time has been searching for it, even if they didn't realize it. On the surface, this chapter might look like the kind of innocuous, flowery passage we might want read at a wedding. But as we look closer at it, we will see that this chapter is deeply, deeply challenging. This kind of love that the passage calls us to does not come naturally. It's not like falling in love or uh, enjoying a best friend or holding a baby for the first time. To love like this passage describes is hard. The Corinthians found it hard and we find it hard. This kind of love is only possible when we drink from the source and the source of that love is Jesus, is God. This love is only ours through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's much to unpack here. So let's read it and then let's dig in and see how we can be people who love like this. Love the superior way, it says in the CSB version. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body to death in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. 
Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish things aside. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, we want to become more like you. We want to become more like your son, Jesus. We want the church to be known as people who love like this passage describes. Will you challenge us this morning? Will you convict us this morning? Will you equip us this morning to love like this? Amen. So we're going to begin by putting this passage into context by stepping back from it a little and then stepping back a little more before we move in closer. So this passage is part of a trio of passages on spiritual gifts. John Groves served us magnificently last week, as always, by talking to us on chapter 12, the first of these three chapters. Chapter 12 lists many spiritual gifts. It tells us we cannot exercise these gifts without the power of the Holy Spirit. Tells us some of these gifts are greater than others, but that we all have our part to play in the body of Christ, that we all need each other. Chapter 14, the one after 13, encourages us to prophesy and tells us that prophecy is a superior gift. So why have a chapter about love right in the middle? What have spiritual gifts got to do with love? We'll be unpacking the answer to this as the morning continues. But the first clue is in the last verse in chapter 12, because of course this is a letter, it didn't have chapters originally. So the last verse of chapter 12 says this, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you a better way. Chapter 13 is Paul explaining to us what that better way is, what that better way looks like. Well, that's great, Paul. But a better way to do what? Well, in the context of these three chapters, a better way to exercise spiritual gifts, a better way to grow in spiritual gifts, a better way to encourage one another in spiritual gifting. But we also need to step even further back to understand the wider context here. In Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For it has been reported to me about you that there is rivalry among you. The Corinthians, as we know, were a church in turmoil. There are people trying to get one up on each other, determined that their way, their gifting, their voice was the most important. And so across the whole of Corinthians, and these chapters in particular, Paul is trying to sow unity instead of division. Here he's saying, look, there's a better way, a better way to grow in spiritual gifts, a better way to honor Jesus, a better way to get along, a better way to do church. In short, a better way to live the Christian life. And that way, of course, is love. 
this incredibly sacrificial, radically selfless kind of love. What he goes on to outline in this chapter is foundational to how we live our lives as Christians, how we do church and community together, and how we exercise and grow in spiritual gifts. In other words, this chapter could not be more relevant for us and our lives today. So I've divided this chapter into three parts. Over the course of the morning, we will see how we can love others, how God loves us, and some of the challenges we face when it comes to exercising spiritual gifts. So the first three verses are the first part. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I think when this is read out at weddings, people often assume that these verses are saying the best thing that you can do with your life is find romantic love. Otherwise, you're nothing. If I have all knowledge, but I haven't found the one, someone giving love to me, then my life is empty. That is not what these verses are saying at all. The Corinthians were pushing themselves forward at their meetings with an attitude that was saying, I'm the one with the prophetic gifting. My voice is the most important. I'm the one who knows the most. Let me speak. Paul is saying here, even if you know everything, Even if you understand all mysteries, your lack of love makes you a clanging gong. That is an incredibly challenging thing to say, isn't it? Whatever we do, however clever or wonderful or seemingly sacrificial, if we do it without love, we are nothing, it gains us nothing, and we are like a clanging gong or nails down a chalkboard. It is offensive to us and to God. I don't know about you, when I think about my life as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, as an educator of my children, I know that I can often be found doing things without love. If you looked through the window of my house and saw me going about my tasks, you probably couldn't tell, but sometimes I have a begrudging heart rather than a loving one. Paul is saying, I'm nothing when I do that. That my deeds and attitudes are offensive and that I gain nothing from it. It's not about what you do, these three verses are telling us. It's about how you do it. It's about love, how loving you are. And that is challenging for us, isn't it? It should be challenging for us. We should be thinking about this often as we go about our daily lives as Christians. We should be those marked by love. Jesus says that, doesn't he? John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's meant to be the calling card of the Christian that we love well, that we do things with sacrificial love. And we do see Christians loving like this all the time, don't we? I often say to my children, if you see a news article about somebody doing something incredibly sacrificial, often there's a Christian at the bottom of it. Did anyone see the news article over Christmas on the BBC which said this? This was the title, How Watford Got All of Its Homeless People Off the Streets. 
Now, the BBC didn't mention anything about Christians, of course, but I thought, I bet there's a Christian or two at the bottom of this. And sure enough, it was a Christian charity called New Hope, started in the 1990s by two Christian women, Janet Hosier and Sheila Meaning, who described themselves, and I love this, as ordinary housewives. Let's hear it for the ordinary housewives. It might not be politically correct, but I don't care. In conjunction... (laughs) They were in conjunction with the YMCA, which is obviously a Christian charity, and their church. They have helped end homelessness in Watford. That's the heart of God, isn't it? That's agape love. These verses are also really encouraging if you flip them on their head. Sometimes I'm tempted to look at my life and feel a bit useless. Do you ever feel like that? I think, oh, I'd love to be someone who did something amazing with their life, something incredibly sacrificial, but I'm just plodding along, living my ordinary life, unloading the dishwasher, putting the clothes in the washing machine. But there's that famous quote from Mother Teresa, isn't there, that says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. These verses are saying the same. What counts is not what you do, however great or small. It's how you love. And I find that so encouraging because I can unload my dishwasher with great love. So we're going to move on to the second section of this chapter now where Paul tells us exactly what this agape love looks like. Do you know the most searched for term on Google in 2012 was, what is love? What is love? People are literally searching for love. It's an age-old question, isn't it? And yet our society is no closer to finding the answer to that question. If anything, we are only getting further from the truth. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, says this, There is no other word in our society more messed up, misunderstood, perverted, and misused as the word love. And a little bit later, helpfully down the same page, he said this. It is all me directed. It is all self. The largeness of love has been reduced to the mouse hole of the ego. The largeness of love is reduced to the mouse hole of the ego. I'm getting in trouble here, aren't I, with my microphone? The antidote to this can be found in the kind of love that the New Testament describes, agape. The New Testament was, of course, written in ancient Greek, and the ancient Greeks had four words for love where we only have one. I'm sure many of us know this. They had philia. This is the kind of love we have for our friends. It's a brotherly, sisterly kind of love. Eros is romantic love. Storge is the love one has for family or a parent has for a child. And agape is a selfless, unconditional love, a word used to describe the love of God. And all of these loves are good in the right context. All of them originate in God, and all of them flow from who he is. God is love, and he has given all of them to us for our benefit, for community, for life to work well, and for his glory. But agape is the glue that holds these other loves together. I cannot maintain a marriage without agape, without being sacrificial. I cannot love my children well without agape. I cannot give myself in friendship without agape. And crucially, I cannot love God or live the Christian life without agape. Overwhelmingly, when talking about love, the New Testament uses the word agape. Agape is considered the highest form of love. 
This love is not based on feelings and emotions like the other loves. It is based on choice and it is based on selflessness combined with action. It is not a passive love. And it is not a love motivated by getting anything in return, unlike all the other loves. Jen Wilkin writes, Agape is both the way God loves us and the way we are to love others. It is most purely expressed when we give it to those from whom we have nothing to gain. When we show love to those who can do nothing for us, we reflect the love of God shown to us through Christ. Unsurprisingly, the passage we're looking at uses the term agape throughout. Just like our society, the Corinthians were confused about what love is and isn't. So Paul very clearly lays out in the next part of the passage exactly what love, what agape does and doesn't look like. Just like all those people in 2012, Paul asks, what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful just to glimpse it like that? Isn't it countercultural? Isn't it challenging? Have you ever read the Ten Commandments and lined them up against your own life? It can make us feel quite smug, can't it? When was the last time you murdered someone? But when we read this list of how we're called to love, we see the real truth of the matter. We are hopeless. We can't even hope to love like this for an hour let alone a lifetime. Mark 12, 28, one of the scribes approached Jesus. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Agape, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, agape your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus demonstrates that he came to make the law not about what we do, but about the heart. Love is the greatest commandment. Love of God, love of others, agape. Who are the hardest people to love like this in society? Do you know? Well, it's the people standing right next to us 
It's the people closest to us, our neighbor, our kids, our friends, our husbands, our colleagues. They are the people hardest to love. No wonder Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. In my everyday life, the prayer that I pray the most, probably almost daily, is God help me to love my husband. Help me to honor and respect him. God help me to love my children. Help me to see the good in them. Help me to have compassion for them. That is my most prayed prayer and it is my most answered prayer because it is how we are to access this agape love through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own strength. Paul begins this passage by saying, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a better way, and he ends it by saying, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying that the greatest spiritual gift, the gift that will last forever, as we'll see, is love. The thing with spiritual gifts is that by their very definition, they cannot be exercised without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. It doesn't come from us. There is no way that we can love like this passage is calling us to without the power of the Holy Spirit. If you leave today thinking, I'm going to try harder to agape, you will fail, likely before you've even made it home if you're anything like my family. But if you leave this morning thinking, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus... I'm going to meditate on his love for me. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to walk closer and closer with him. I'm going to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Then you will grow in agape. Out of an overflow of that walking with Jesus, you will love others well. This list that Paul provides for us is not a list of how I naturally love people. And it's not a list of how you naturally love people either. It's a list of how God loves us. Paul hasn't just plucked these definitions out of thin air. He's gone to the source of love. He's found these by looking at the embodiment of love. He's taken these from the living, breathing person of Jesus. You can search for love all you like. You can Google it till you're blue in the face. But if you haven't found Jesus, you haven't found real love. You haven't found the source of love. Every single instance and ounce of love has come from who God is. It flows from him. It originates in him. He created love. He sustains love. He is love. Jesus loves us like this passage describes. He is endlessly kind towards us. He does not keep a record of our wrongs. How incredible is that? How wonderful is that? He is patient with us, endlessly patient. He bears all things, he hopes all things, he pursues us relentlessly with his love. We cannot possibly hope to love people like this unless we have a revelation of how God loves us. His incredible, endless, boundless love for us, just as we are. I love the story of Peter and Jesus at the Last Supper. It's told in three of the Gospels and it demonstrates God's incredible agape for us. The disciples are eating a final meal together and Peter is so full of passion and love for Jesus that he tells Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. 
And Jesus says, like, will you though, Peter? Just in just a few hours' time, you're going to have denied me three times. And sure enough, Peter does. And Peter is devastated by this. He's devastated because he loves Jesus. Yet, it isn't the end of the story because Jesus gives him a chance to make it right, to have a replay after he rises again. John 21. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus' agape turns around a moment of failure for Peter into a lifetime of motivation to feed his sheep. Peter becomes an important figure in the building of the early church. That is the sort of love that God has for us. He will take our wretchedness and turn it into fruitfulness. He will take our brokenness and turn it into wholeness. There is no better picture of agape than Jesus hanging on a cross, the perfect, innocent Son of God. dying for us, for our sin and our shame and our brokenness, standing in the gap between us and a holy God. That's our Jesus hanging there. That's the great I am who was there at the beginning, who flung stars into space. That's our friend. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What a savior. What a God. What a love. What a garpe. If you are here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, Jesus wants to offer you a better way just like he offered the Corinthians a better way. Jesus actually said he was the way, the truth and the life. Jesus offers you completely free, completely unconditional love. He would love to exchange your broken life for his whole one. Talk to the person you came with or somebody that looks like they know what they're doing. As we grow into maturity as Christians, we should expect to understand more and more the love that God has for us and more and more our lives should be marked by being able to give that love away, by loving others like this. It flows from him to others. Let's move on to the final section then before we finish. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth here, 
All these things that you think are so important, that are worth more to you than love, they aren't going to last forever. They're a temporary thing. It's love, not gifting, that will last forever. Get a grip, he's saying. Get some perspective. When Jesus comes back and makes everything new, we won't need prophecy because everything will have come to fruition. We will see clearly, even Jesus himself, face to face. We won't need words of knowledge. I'm ever so sorry, I don't know the name of that beautiful lady that came and gave her words of knowledge from her dream. They were fantastic. But one day we won't need them because everything will be hidden and everything will be fully known. Sorry, nothing will be hidden and everything will be whole. We won't need to speak in tongues because we will know fully as we are fully known. Isn't that wonderful? There's a day coming when we won't need spiritual gifts. But that means that we do need them today. The Corinthians were making spiritual gifts too important. They were making them more important than love. I don't think we have that challenge here in our church. I think we have a different challenge. And I'm going to tell you a story to highlight what that challenge is. Uh, It's a true story. It begins in the 1970s with two people. A handsome young chef called Stephen and a beautiful young nurse called Veronica. I think we've got a picture of them. There they are. They're my parents. And um, one evening, they meet at a thriving Anglican church called St. John's in Ealing. And they only speak for a few minutes, but Veronica hears very clearly from the Lord that this man, Stephen, is going to be her husband. Poor Stephen, he didn't stand a chance. (laughs) A few months later, they were married, and they're still happily married today. And uh, they loved being at St. John's. But as the months went on, they began to feel God stirring their spirits. They wanted to do church like they saw in the New Testament. They wanted to see people speaking in tongues. They wanted to hear the prophetic in the meetings they were in. They wanted to see signs and wonders and healings and miracles. And they weren't the only people feeling like this. Across the nation, God was stirring the hearts of men and women to long for the church to be all that she's called to be, to long to see, to see spiritual gifts being exercised in meetings. And so my parents, along with a few friends, they left St. John's with a heavy heart and they began meeting in each other's homes. And all across our nation, people were meeting in homes and it was called the house church movement for obvious reasons. And as the time went on, these house house churches found each other and formed little churches. And the churches found each other and formed movements. And these movements had names like Pioneer People and New Frontiers. Because people were pushing forward what it meant to be the church of Christ in our nation. They won us a great freedom, those men and women. And Terry Virgo over in Brighton, he was doing the same thing. And he is the founder of New Frontiers, the movement of churches that you are sat in right now. We are a movement built on longing for the Holy Spirit. We are a movement built on a desire to flourish and grow in spiritual gifting. We are a movement that has seen an incredible outpouring of the presence of God in our midst. My question is this. Have we begun to take for granted all that was won for us? Are we pursuing and desiring spiritual gifts? Do we exercise them in our lives, amongst our family and friends, in our community groups on a Sunday morning? 
the Corinthians were making spiritual gifts too important. But I think there's a danger that we could be moving into an area where we're doing the opposite. You need to weigh that for yourself. That's what I felt God saying, but, you know, weigh it up. You can say what you like about those Corinthians, but they were pursuing spiritual gifts with a passion and a fervor. Can we say the same about ourselves? We need spiritual gifts. There's going to be more on this next week, I'm sure. We need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and for the church to be all that she is called to be and for the lost to be one for Jesus. Don't settle for less than all that God has promised his church will be. Don't stop running after him and pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, including and especially the greatest gift, which is love. So finally, we can see that we need agape. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. We need this kind of love if we're going to live the Christian life and show people what Jesus looks like. I don't know about you, but I am desperate to love like this passage describes. I'm desperate to see the church become all that she was made to be. I'm desperate to know this love through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm desperate for the world to see that Jesus is the one who offers true love, true wholeness, true agape. And I think what we need in our day is to cry out for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives. We need a fresh understanding, a fresh revelation, a fresh experience of agape, of this incredible love that God has for us, his people, so that we can give it away to others. As I've been preparing for this sermon, over and over again, I have a picture in my head of us kneeling in repentance. I think, well, well, how are we going to end in a minute is that we're going to have a beautiful song about love and the Holy Spirit is going to move and we are going to experience God's love. But I think it would be great in a moment if we knelt. Kneeling, repentance and kneeling is the pathway to worship and to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to kneel. I'm going to kneel and you can join me in a minute if you want. You know, I feel, Kath, what you brought about that knitted jumper. I feel that was really prophetic and I feel like God is saying... Maybe as we step back a little from ourselves, from our church, have we knitted things a little bit? Have we sewn it together a little bit wrong? I know I have in my life, and I want to kneel and I want to repent, and then I'm going to ask, want to ask God to fill us with his love and his Holy Spirit. So can I have the band up, please? Now, it's quite hard to kneel, uh, in the rows you're in, you might need, you'll be better on the balcony because your chair tips up. You really don't have to kneel. I'm not, you know, it's a personal thing. But if you want to kneel before God, just to say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't loved like this. I'm sorry that I've taken your Holy Spirit for granted sometimes. And I want to know you and know that love and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you feel like that, now's the time to kneel. Oh, God, we want to say that we've glimpsed a little bit of your love this morning. We want to say we know that we are lacking. We know that we haven't always been people that love like this. And we want to say that we're sorry. 
Look, God, we want to say we know that there have been times when we've taken what was won for us for granted. We want to say that we love your Holy Spirit. We love your presence. Look, God, we want to say that we want to be a people who pursue you relentlessly. We want to be a people who pursue spiritual gifts. We want to be a people who are daily filled with the Holy Spirit and with your love so that we can give it away to a lost and broken world around us. God, we say, will you come and meet with us this morning? Will you convict us? Will you equip us? Lord God, will you forgive us? God, I ask now that your holy presence would fall in this place on each and every one of us. God, I ask that while we sing this next song, your manifest presence would fall and we would experience a real, your love in our lives. God, I pray, pour out this agape love this morning that we would have a fresh glimpse of how you love us, how deep and high and wide is your love for us, Lord God. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Begin working in our hearts and lives. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to settle for less. We want all that you've got for us, Jesus. Every part of it. No matter what it costs us, we want to run after you. We want every part of it, Jesus. Pour out your love. Pour out your spirit on us this morning. We know that we need to glimpse your love before we can give it away.